Welcome to Monorant, a podcast where we rant about the things, things we want to rant about, which in this case is superhero TV show The Boys. I'm one of your hosts in Jack of All Trades Mono, and with me as always is my co-host and master of none, Kira. Mwah. Yeah. Now, uh, this week we're on to season one, episode four, The Female of the Species, and we'll definitely be talking about the original comics today in a couple of points, so spoilers ahead for that. Kira, do you want to do this summary today? No, you're all right. Okay, well, I'll I'll blast. I'll, I'll let it. you butcher it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. I will blast through the summary and the uh, cast and crew. So, on a very special episode of the boys, an hour of guts, gutter balls, airplane hijackings, madness, ghosts, and one very intriguing female. Oh, and lots of heart, both in the sentimental sense and in the gory literal sense. I don't recall an awful lot of gory no. heart in that episode no and I really thought when you were saying gutter balls I thought it was like some weird fucked up TV sh- show that was like good or balls oh good or balls good or balls <laughs> like some weird good idea bad idea I'm thinking gearing more towards Japanese style game show <laughs> oh right that involves shots to the testicles yeah like the the parody one off Supernatural yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Right, okay, so I'll add that down to our, our list of potential TV shows. Good or balls? <laughs> yeah, good or balls. TM. <laughs> TMC um, 2021. Yeah, it wasn't a particularly violent episode. It was a bit slower but, yeah, than the others. I don't know, that had a pretty high death count. Yeah, but it was Like wasn't, a whole plane went down. <laughs> a whole plane did go down. Hang on, but, hang on. What was not gory about that between, between the female... Ripping those guys apart. True. A whole plane going down. I think it's because it, they weren't the focal point of the episode. Like the focal well, the point. Well, the plane was. The focal point of episode one is Robin exploding into a billion little pieces. Yeah, I suppose the focal point of episode two is is translucent blowing into a million little pieces. <laughs> a million little pieces. A million little pieces. And the focus, well, the big shock of episode three is the landlord's head getting blown to itty bitty pieces. Yeah, whereas with the female, it's kind of glossed over, if you get me. Like, yes, yeah, she does do these horrific things, but then it all focuses to try, to trying to find her. And yeah. then the next horrifically violent thing that she does, you only see, you the, see, aftermath. You see the aftermath. Oh, was, that, was there a heart there? Did we miss a heart getting taken I, out I there? don't know, but that lady's chest really was a cavity. Yeah. Oh, no, it's probably the, the heart it, it, it was a soup. I think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves anyway. We are. <laughs> so, this episode was directed by Frederick E.O. Toy. He's done quite a lot of TV shows. Four episodes of The Boys. Quite a few episodes of The Good Wife. Which I've never yeah, seen. Yeah, I know, but I've heard um, really good things about. Yeah, I don't know. I believe it's quite, quite highly regarded. Political drama, I believe. I so know, totally I know not my nothing bag. About it. Um, and the writer was Craig Rosenberg, who wrote four episodes of The Boys. This being his first, wrote four episodes of Preacher as well, and has written a couple of movie screenplays. And obviously, Kripke, the main story writer for the season as mm. well. The episode opens with, well, Billy's dream sequence. Yeah, it's, well, it's more of a flashback than a dream sequence. Bit of both, I suppose. Yeah. It does have that, like, soft, fuzzy, ethereal, like, yeah. filter on it, for lack of a better word, where everything's, like, soft and a little bit blurry on the edges. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the sunlight's filtering through it and catching them, and it's all beautiful poses, and, you know, yeah. everything's very strategically hidden, and the dog is watching them. Well, that's it. They, they, <laughs> they get it on. And they have a talk about going to a Spice Girls concert. And I don't care about any of that because terror is in the fucking corner. I know. Itty bitty terror so, being so adorable. Those of you who have read the comics will know immediately who we're talking about. If you haven't read the comics, first off, go read them. Secondly, terror is Butcher's um, British Bulldog. Who, I won't actually spoil his big thing because they do bring it in later on in the season. He is, he's very but terror sweet. Is he, awesome. he, he, is Billy's constant companion in the comic books and yeah. goes everywhere with him and seems to be the only thing that he actually genuinely cares about. Mm. So having him actually come into it is, or at least a reference to him is is a nice little throwback for the comic book fans. Mm. 
Especially after episode one, when they're in the car. And he asks him if he has a dog. And he just says no. And oh. I was like, that better not be all we're going to get. Yeah, so we've got another little nod to Terror. And obviously we see Becca for the first time. Yeah. And then Butcher wakes up and we see his oh, current it's... state of existence, which is... Freaking Bleak. N- yeah, nude hot pockets and watching the last footage of your wife that's... In existence, <laughs> over it, and over again. It is literally. I can't work out if it's the same apartment or not. I don't think it is. I think it is supposed to be the same house. No, that is that is like a studio. That's one up from a studio apartment. Like it's well, I the think main it's room. Supposed to be that he's just that's he's let the house just go empty because he doesn't care about anything except for you know his vendetta. And but, he just sleeps there and washes there and eats there and that's all it's for. Like that's what I I got it from it. No, it looks like in the flashback sequence that that's a nice room and that's just a bedroom. Hmm. But when he wakes up, it is literally a bed in an open space. There's a closed off bathroom and then there's like a kitchenette. Hmm. So I, I'm assuming it's a different apartment. Yeah. That's like a lot smaller considering if he's been on this massive vendetta, like vendetta mia papa for years. Yeah. Then that's one of the things that would have gone because he does. He goes to the bathroom, buck ass, naked. Yeah, you get some Carl Urban ass. Yeah. And then he literally comes out of the bathroom and goes like around the corner into the kitcheny thing and gets his very, very sad freezer pastry and microwaves it. It's what, a hot pocket that he has? I'm assuming it's some sort of like crispy, because we don't have them here, some sort of like crispy style pastry. I don't know. No microwavable breakfast is probably good for you. I think no. it's safe to say that. But yeah, his sad life where he sits down on what is like possibly the cheapest single table and chair. Mm. But it it rather effectively kind of shows you he's got nothing else. No. You know, M.M. has his wife and as we discover kid, you know, Frenchie at least has Sherry. Huey is starting to get something with Starlight, as we see in this episode. Yeah, but he all, but Billy's they've got all got nothing. something else to live for. Billy's got nothing. And we see that in that the next thing we see is him just appearing in Rainer's office when she comes in to start her day. The the recoil when she sees him, just she looks at him and literally just goes, Ugh. <laughs> Yeah, no. Rainer's never happy to see Butcher, it seems. And then next question is, how the fuck did you yeah, get in here? You're like here? the mold on my fucking bathroom tiles, isn't that what she Her says? laundry room tiles. Yeah. And then she does the right thing and calls security, which he then hangs up on, which would just make them come quicker. Yeah, if the, if the deputy director of CIA operations calls for security and then the, the phone call is cut short... Security are only going to go there faster. Yeah, like if, yeah, the line goes dead. Oh, fuck, something's gone wrong. Yeah, but they don't show up. Um, <laughs> Somehow. Yeah, they don't show up. And instead, they have a little chat about what Butcher's been up to. He tells her about V. She doesn't he, really. He has the surveillance photos. Yeah, but they're only photos. She says it could be anything. But basically says, look, if you can get me something concrete. I might throw you a few fucking books, you know, for operational costs, but don't screw me on this. And I do love that little bit where, you know, she threatens him and then says, say you understand. And mm-hmm. he tries to give some smart ass response and she's just like, no, no, say you fucking understand. Oh, they all get their asses handed to them by women this episode. He gets it off Rainer. Yeah. Frenchie gets it off Cherie, only she literally has his balls in her hand. <laughs> yeah. Which was just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, they all get their asses handed to them by, by females. This, and obviously this there episode. is the female. And the female, yeah. <laughs> the most powerful one in the episode. But yeah, no, again, like in, in, the, in the second episode where we first meet Rainer, the scene between the two of them, they just, it's played so well. I, I can't praise both of them enough the way they act off each other and just it is she really she hates viscerally him so hates him yeah she really hates him it's great so the next after that that's again it's just kind of a short scene and it moves us on then to we see Popclaw next yeah it? well he yeah well, he needs a sample of it that's the only thing that'll get Rainer 
to cooperate with them is if she has something tangible, meaning, i.e., a sample, something that they can show up and visibly prove that this is what they're using. Mm. They're using this chemical. You know, it's either enhancing what's already there or it's causing these things entirely they just don't know yet. But it's something physical. Yeah. So the next obvious thing is to go back to Popclaw who has it in her house and has have been storing well, it there had. and to find out where it's coming from or going to Well no isn't it that he rings her and he says that they've been they've already been staking out the place and they haven't seen anything and she and says the tra- only thing that I, she knows is that when he runs it up there he comes back with sesame noodles Yeah that's basically the only lead that they have yeah, to work with and they've been staking to, it out. Butcher threatens to release the footage if she doesn't cooperate. <laughs> and then we see M.M. on the phone to Monique doing some, I gotta say, not so great phone acting. I didn't buy there was anybody on the other end of the line watching that. No. But it's followed by a nice little philosophical debate between M.M. and Frenchie about monogamy versus polygamy essentially well not polygamy but the french attitude which is oh yeah if i'm not doing it for you go off and find it somewhere else and fulfill this need and we'll still be together and love each other and all of that which is a very healthy progressive attitude that the french have long held would that not still be considered polygamy it's not polygamy i think it's only polygamy if you try to marry them or you the three of you are actively involved or four of you are actively involved in a relationship to get I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? It's what it wants to be. Love is love. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, they have their little debate. I do. I have to say I love the chemistry between M.M. and Frenchie. Yeah, the banter you see a lot is of it. good. You see a lot of it in this episode. Yeah, their banter is fun when they're, even when they're kind of antagonistic towards each other, especially when they're antagonistic towards each other. We get some choice lines. Especially the one later on when M.M.'s like, oh, where'd you, or how deep would you pull that out of your asshole, Frenchie? And Frenchie's response is, that depends. How deep does your tongue go? You believe the banter between them. You believe the history between them. Yeah. It has that ease of long-time friends or colleagues, but you you can have the banter. I, I, I don't know if I'd call it ease, especially in this episode, because tensions do kind of come to a head no, later no, on. No, it's not. Okay, ease isn't I, the right word, but that... Rapport? Yeah. <laughs> whether good or bad. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what how to get at them. You know what pisses them off at this point. Mm. You know how to antagonize that person just by doing small, annoying, little niggly things. Speaking of, of team dynamics... I was saying as we were watching this, I love that shot when they spot the the noodle guy who's carrying the gun and they they get out of the van to go following him. And it's M.M. Frenchie and Huey walking after him. There was just something about watching that shot. I was like, yes, yes, the boys are together and they're they're going on missions and they're doing things as a group. Yes, because it is the first time we've seen them do something like that. More or less, as I say, in the, the race in the previous episode, they all had their individual jobs. Butcher was watching Homelander. M.M. was to keep an eye on what was going on back in Popclaw's place. And Frenchie was to get the... Frenchie the... was doing a brilliant <laughs> deer in the headlights on a rope moment. <laughs> yeah, and then Huey was there, as it turned out, for distraction purposes. The pretty French soap on a but, rope. Yeah, this we, this we get to see them together. working together, doing yeah. something. And I was just like, yeah, yeah. And of course, it leads into our intro of the female, which is... Equal parts awesome and glorious fuck. <laughs> I, I, I can't quite decide if I prefer her backstory in the comic book or the backstory that they give her. They do differ wildly. Mm. Her introduction is almost exactly the same that they come across her. Yeah, it's, it's almost like they take part of her origin story in that when in the comics the female is the daughter of like a receptionist who works at the Japanese equivalent of Vought and they're a company who's trying to create their own compound V and create their own superheroes and her mother keeps her in a drawer underneath the desk 
Oh, when and she, she keeps talking about how stupid her mother is. That yeah, her mother's supposed to be completely, just a complete idiot as well. But yeah, she escapes and she ends up accidentally eating like waste product from the the, the V creating process. And it gives her superpowers and she ends up locked up in a cage for years in this Japanese company where they like take her blood and try and replicate the fact that it worked mm. on her. And eventually she escapes and that's when the boys find her and gas her. So that's kind of what we see in this episode is just that last little bit. But yeah, I do like her actual origin story of the the kind of the baby of the hapless idiot who ends up accidentally eating a lot of toxic waste and becoming a superhero. Obviously what happens afterwards is really sad, but I don't know that they could have pulled that off. No. In the show. No. Especially is it in the next episode or afterwards when we get introduced to spoiler mesmer and we find out a little bit about her backstory the way that's played would have been very different if they were trying to tell the story from the comics that introductory shot of her looking up through the hair yeah in, in gore is oh that's straight out of the comics a, yeah just that panel lifted entirely and as i said we do get a version of her introduction scene from the comics that plays out in season two somewhere in like episode two or three. I can't remember exactly where, but again, it's just, we get those nice nods later on. They have the time to indulge themselves a bit more, Mm. but yeah, her introduction is just so fun when she breaks out and absolutely destroys the first two guys. Well, she gets broken. Frenchie (laughs) lets her out. He's like, Oh, poor damn it. He's like, oh, look, a drunk kid with daddy issues. Um, <laughs> but no, he does. He has an affinity for her and he lets her out because he just sees this scared girl in a cage being held by Chinese mobsters underneath a deli mm. somewhere in Chinatown. And he knows that they're running V and all this shit that's really weird. And this basically this cannot be good. So he lets her out. And I love it then because the mobsters run in and their first concern isn't who the hell are these people? It's, oh, no, don't, don't open that out. door. <laughs> Yeah, that's all they're concerned about is, Jesus, don't let her out. Put that thing back where it came from, or so help me. <laughs> so help me. And, <laughs> yeah, so help them. It does um, not end well for them. The first guy really gets it. She really does not like that first guy. She puts her fingers through his eyeballs and then snaps his neck. Yeah, well, the second guy gets his rib cage plunged she, in. Yeah. She and the third guy runs in, him. sees what's going on, and says, fuck that, and nopes out of existence by shooting himself in the face. Yeah. And I can't really blame him. And neither can the boys because they immediately retreat into the cell and lock themselves in. It's the raptor defense. <laughs> I do love that Mother's Milk is like trying to hold the gate, the the, fe- the cell door closed and she's like swiping at and, them. Yeah, he's just leaning back as far as he can <laughs> and they're no. all terrified. Oh, yeah, no, And they're all is... screaming. It's brilliant. Also, there's a lovely little comment in the next scene when Frenchie calls Huey Petit Huey. I think that's earlier, but yeah, and he's like, uh, uh, I'm uh, six foot one, stop calling me that, or I'm, I'm like six foot tall. Dude, I'm like six foot. But that is, it's it's a hell of an intro, especially compared to like as good as Frenchie's intro was, and really any of the intros so far. Hmm. With the exception of maybe A-Train. A-Train definitely made an impression when he showed up. Oh, just a tad. But yeah, the female's introduction is just... It's a thing to behold. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, she really is. Of all the characters... Like, the rest of them kind of have a, a set role to play within the dynamic. Yeah. And she doesn't. She's the wild card. Certainly in the show, yeah. And certainly at this point. <laughs> so having her as this weird chaotic jumbly kind of messy introduction works well for for what the character is supposed to be Mm. you know she's been caged they let her out then she goes what on what looks like a murder spree until they were like no she's well it's frenchy who figures it out yeah because she then goes to uh, manicurists and proceeds to mangle the woman who runs it and they find out that she's a mother of four she's what was it? She's a mother of four. She's been here for X, Y, or Z. And also and she's, is a human trafficker. She's a human trafficker um, from all over the South Pacific. So 
she's most likely the person that has smuggled her in illegally. Yeah. And they, yeah, Frenchie works out that she's just trying to work her way back home. That's all she wants. She's scared. Yeah, and when they head off to the train station to, to find her, the scene between her and Frenchie, when he's trying to say, you know, he's trying to reason with her and say, we're not here to hurt you, the two of them, <clears throat> particularly Frenchie's delivery, well, Tomer Capon's delivery of that scene. Oh, his, his story about his father. Yeah, you, you really believe that. And you really see that he's trying to humanize himself to the female mm-hmm. and be like, you know, I, I do understand you and I really want to help you. And you really, really see it in, in the, the immediate aftermath when she gets spooked and runs out of the store and he runs out after her and he can't see her. He's so panicked when the guys show up and mm-hmm. they're like, did you see her? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where did she go? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. And he's looking around really frantically. It just, it helps sell that. For some reason, he feels he has this connection and he just wants to help this girl. The others, M.M. and Butcher, want to catch her so that they can continue up the trail and find out what's going on. But Frenchie actually wants to rescue or at least help. Yeah, Frenchie does have a bit of that kind of... He can't help himself and he has to try and fix the broken girl. Yeah, and you can see that that seems to be something that he does a lot because that's where most of the tension between him and M.M. comes from in this episode is he's like, oh, you had a feeling. Instead of following the plan, you went with a fucking feeling. Yeah, it's like he stopped trying to fix the broken girls. Well, at this this point, it's not even that that's pissing off M.M. He's just like, do what you're supposed to do. Yeah, you know, stop We, we came about... here for V and you let this crazy chick out of a cage. Then we try and track her down and instead of gassing her, you try and reason with her. And they have that big blow-up fight where we get a little bit more information about Mallory yeah. and the grandkids. And it turns out that way back when, at some point, Frenchie was supposed to have followed Lamplighter sometime, didn't follow him for some reason, and Lamplighter ended up killing Mallory's grandkids. And M.M. holds him wholly responsible for that. And that's where this massive tension has come from that we've seen in the previous two, well, last episode and this episode. So it's really tantalizing to get that little bit of information about. We still don't know much about what happened in the the first go around. Like, Yeah, it's just like, here's this little nug of information that they're, they are drip feeding. Yeah. All this thing. It's not, and it's like not in a kind of overwhelming sense. It's giving you these like little glances, little tastes. Mm. And, that's also where we get our Spice Girls speech. <laughs> oh, the Spice Girls speech is everything. Obviously, it makes sense based off the start of the episode because Beck is trying to get Butcher to go to a Spice Girls concert. She's obviously a big fan. So that's why he knows all this information. But it's it's some hell of a speech, all right. <laughs> it's a terrible speech. It is a terrible speech. It's, As the two lads say afterwards wonderfully entertaining mm. but if it was delivered to you as a pep talk you'd just stand there looking at them what the fuck is wrong with you especially that you know 2019 when it came out when was the Spice Girls last like they had tour? done a reunion tour or something but that probably was well I think only if it was when Becca was around it? it was 2012 and that was you know uh nostalgia tour at that point yeah. you know so not exactly the most relevant pep speech in the world or pep talk in the world no but yeah no that that <laughs> that whole scene though speech. is lovely because behind anytime the cameras square on Tom Capon there's um, a poster of Black Noir behind him in the train station yeah and yeah. that's pretty much the only superhero reference you get in that whole sequence which means there's something something's going to happen with Black Noir because the set dressing on this is so deliberate. Yeah, no, it is definitely a bit of foreshadowing for the next yeah. episode. We won't say more but than it that. Does, he's just staring at the back of his head for the whole scene. It's, it's fantastic. But yeah, the whole time that you... Well, not the whole time, but at least three or four times throughout that scene where he's arguing with M.M. and then when Butcher's giving his Spice Girl speech, he's standing directly in front of a Black mm. Noir poster. But there is no other superhero, except for there's a very small picture of the deep in the back that's like the deep rising. Yeah. But you can't really make it out. But that's the only bit of superhero um, set dressing that is 100% in focus visible the whole time. Speaking of the deep, 
his journey in this episode is it's Kevin. something else. Yeah, we, we find out that the Deep is called Kevin and he has a therapist, which in and of itself is not a problem. No. But the things that he tells his therapist are fucking hilarious. A-Train pranking him by putting a blow-up dolphin in... His bed. In his bed with lipstick around the blowhole and him talking about how great dolphins are and that they have regional accents. I believe it. Well... But also, he can talk to fi- uh, to sea life. I was going to say talk to fish, but dolphins aren't fish. Mm. Um, He can talk to sea life. So, yeah, his whole thing about, yeah, they have regional accents. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to believe it. You're the fish guy. Yeah, um, but as he says, he's the diversity hire. He's just the fish guy. When was the last time a group of salmon were able to save anybody? And his um, therapist has the brilliant line of <laughs> The carnival cruise yeah, ship. Yeah, wh- where would that carnival cruise ship be without you? And I, I want to know more about that story. But yeah, we start to see the deep in a slightly different light in this episode. And he's just hilariously... His grip on reality is slowly loosening. I think his ego is so fragile and he's uh, yeah, he's afraid of not taking a... Like, he can see that Starlight's standing up for herself. Yeah. And he's not, like... Obviously, he must have been the... Not the last new hire, but he kind of get away with what he wanted to. Or I, certainly he thought that he, because he was the butt of all the jokes the whole rest of the time, that when Starlight showed up, he was like, okay, well, I'm going to turn this around and make her the butt of the, all the jokes so that I'm not on the bottom of the pile anymore. Mm. And it hasn't worked for him. No, and I think what she said to him on the pier has gotten to him. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I don't know, it's sweet that the, he, the deep wants to make a difference. Like when when his he gets his little, his little pep talk from the uh, therapist and he's like, you know, you're you're a member of the seven, you know, and, and what does that mean? He's like, I can I can do whatever I set my mind to. And what do you want to set your mind to? And what he wants to set his mind to is just helping dolphins. Like, that's noble. He's a moron. Like, he's an absolute, like, douchebag, you know, idiot. But, like, at least he wants to help the dolphins. And, yeah, well, that's, that's <laughs> when he goes to Stillwell later. Oh, poor with his plan to like highlight the dolphin abuses in Oceanland. He's the face of the Oceanland <laughs> fall campaign. Yeah, Stillwell has to point out like, well, no, you're sponsored by them, so you can't really do that. And he's like, but I just want to help the dolphins. And she tells him to play to his strengths. And he just kind of stands there looking like he has no idea what that means, really. No. <laughs> and it's all capped off with... Our only actual Spice Girl song in the episode. Oh, in his little heist. Yeah, in his little dolphin rescue. <laughs> when he rescues what has to be the horniest dolphin in the world. Dolphins are notoriously horny. There are accounts of people who went swimming with dolphins coming oh. out with like bruises and stuff. Like they will literally try and get up on pretty much anything. Well, yeah, but this dolphin... And they have S-shaped penises, which is just weird. And I don't want any part of it. <laughs> well, apparently the deep is at least open to some part of that. Because he just thinks it's an in- inappropriate time to discuss such... Yeah, liaisons. because the deep is such a good judge of appropriate sexual contact. Yeah, well, uh, that's it. Like, if he, but that's my point. If even the deep is saying to a dolphin, "Hang on, like this, this isn't appropriate right now." What is that dolphin actually saying to him? Yeah, true. <laughs> You know, that like, dolphin is too happy. I do love his little spritz bottle that he has. And he keeps leaning <laughs> back and misting the dolphin in its little hammock in the back of that Ford Transit that he's driving. <laughs> driving that he's yeah driving. That's the word, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you drive vans. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I thought I said drivening and was like, what? No, you correctly spoke. Uh, Continue. Yeah, he's driving that van like he stole it, which means he probably did. Well, I'm going to assume he did steal the van. He at least stole the dolphin. Yes, he definitely stole the dolphin for at least a short period of time. It doesn't last too long. No, I want to know what that dolphin's saying. Because, and in fairness, it does provide, because it comes quite late in the episode, and it does provide a nice bit of levity after all the plane stuff. Yeah, That way you get to see this dolphin fly through the front windscreen of the van in slow motion while Spice Girls is playing in the background. And then... That dolphin goes really... Dolphins are surprisingly aerodynamic. Apparently that one is anyway. Yeah. Well, of course it makes sense. They're a water creature. 
But yeah, he, he goes a good like 70 or 80 feet above those cop cars, lands the- and just gets flattened by a convenient lorry. Yeah, very convenient lorry. But as I say, that it's just so funny and you definitely need it after the plane scene. Which, yeah. Plane yeah, crashes now. have now become, I think, in collective mem- recent memory, plane crashes, anything to do surrounding plane crashes is a very sensitive topic or just does seem to have a, 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 a quite a, not a triggering effect, but it is something that we still take quite seriously. Yeah, anything, anything, is anything to do in. with, anything to do with planes and hijackings and especially, in, well, I mean, I can't speak for America, but it would certainly seem like, especially in America, anything to do with planes yeah. and hijackings is still a hot button. And in that regard, it's probably good they didn't go with what the comics did. Because this, the plane scene is a really important mm. incident in the comics. And again, spoilers, because we're going to talk about it. But they are sent out on 9-11. The seven, all of them, are sent out to stop the 9-11 attacks. And they end up blundering it and the plane smashes into the Brooklyn Bridge instead. But they bungle it in much the same manner as is done in the show. Well, they bungle it by doing everything. Everything that Maeve suggests in that sequence, oh, well, what do I do? Do I get outside and push it? He tries that. It doesn't work. He also flies through one of them and breaks it in half, which is what he says. Yeah, everything he's... The suggestions <coughs> he shoots down. All of her suggestions are things that they, they try in the comic book sequence. I'd forgotten that all of them are sent out in that. And some of the seven don't fly. So you get in the comic books, you get this ridiculous panel of the two airplanes coming at them. And three of them are just being held by like the scruff of the uniform by the ones that can fly. (laughs) And I think they throw one of them at a plane. uh, The deep ends up getting stuck to the front of one of the planes. Yeah. And the, the best thing is the deep has this like old timey mariner helmet get up in the comic book and it's just him being like unceremoniously tossed at an aeroplane yeah and and it's yeah I should like it shouldn't be funny but it's just this ridiculous image of and you know it is a thing some superheroes don't fly how do they get up there yeah the the flyers bring them yeah (laughs) they have to be carried Batman refuses to be carried yeah but in in the comics, after it goes down and they abandon ship, Marathon Man is the member of the Seven previous to A-Train. He falls and dies. And that's oh, yes. how A-Train ends up on the Seven. They did, nobody catches him. Um, he Black, jumps out Black of the Black Noir also falls and just lands on the ground and is just fine. Yeah, but Black <laughs> is fine. basically <laughs> like an indestructible three-year-old. He's like made out of flubber. Because <laughs> Black Noir through the whole reign of the com- run of the comic books, like he just he He's, just gets battered and gets up and keeps coming back. He's the fucking Germinator. There's the brilliant bit where he crashes the plane and he just gets up and walks away yeah. from it like nothing happened. He's yeah, in he's treated in much the same way in the show so far in terms of He's the fucking T one thousand. I think I, they just keep putting other people in that suit. <laughs> like he's like they're, they're just like oh no it's lucky seven yeah uh, oh no this is lucky eight like it's just it's a I, who really knows what's under that mask you know is it a sad sorry broken sack of man who's forgotten more about pain than you'll ever know about pain <laughs> but that's or, yeah that's what i'm really black Noir is one of the things that i'm most excited about in the show because he's so pivotal to the comics I'm not going to say why because it's a massive spoiler but he's pivotal in the comics and I don't know I don't think they're going to go they're certainly not going to go the exact same route I don't think as they did in the comics but I'm really interested to see what they do at Black Noir because he's such a fun character Mm. in the show well this episode as well is really where you start to see Maeve breaking away yeah from the ideals and beginning especially after that plane sequence and you can see it in her she's just heartbroken about the whole thing she did nothing about what's going on since, right? And if Homelander had just taken time to work on his fucking aim, <laughs> yep. none of this shit would have happened because boy is sloppy. Yeah, and it is. It's just pure sloppiness. And as soon as he, he It's where down, you're looking. Focus, human. And the first guy he kills, fine. He kills him with one shot straight to the centre of the chest. 
And then when he goes in and your man shoots the pilot, he just cuts him in half and, and wrecks ma- yeah. the control panel What's of the plane. What's wrong with like two little neat holes through his head? Just zunk, I, gone. It's, I think it is just supposed to be carelessness. He's not used to having to use precision because he's used to just dealing with, you know, soft, squishy people and having Vought there to cover up any feet or arms that he might accidentally cut off of standers by but this time that carelessness leads to the whole plane going down but as soon as as you said as soon as he has has fucked things up he realises well nobody's landing this plane and Maeve's trying to you know use the radio and she's like do you know how to fly and he's like well it wouldn't matter if I did because the plane's fucked so let's go yeah, no, the way he looks around that cockpit, he does a very, very kind of clinical, nope, shit, nope, fucked, nope, fucked, nope, fucked, oh, well, gone. Yeah. He does. He looks around, he looks at everything, and you can just see it in him. He's like, nope, couldn't care less, out of here, bye, I can fly, fuck you lot. Yeah, he he basically makes, not a split-second decision, but he, he runs it down in his head, and every time Maeve says, you know, but what about this, but what about this, he has an answer. And ultimately, he knows, unless he can save everybody, he can't they save, all have, have to, to die. die. And he, like Maeve, you can see the whole time Maeve is like, what about this? What about this? What about this? And she tries to save that poor mother and her child. She's like, just these two. And Homelander's response is what? So they can tell the world how he left the rest of them to fucking die? No. And then the I think the coldest line that he utters this whole episode is, don't die like them. You don't have to die like them. Yeah. And even the way he did the stress he puts on them is like, they're different from us. Don't die with them. Yeah. Oh, Homelander, well, Anthony Starr, the way he plays that whole scene from start to finish is just... Threatening them then and the way... When he, yeah, when he's threatening to laser them all, even when he's walking down the plane before that and, you know, there's a massive big jolt and he's like, whoa, that was a big one, guys. Yeah, he's doing the whole jovial, stay calm, it's okay, I'm here, don't fucking touch me. Yeah. And then when he turns and is like, all right, stay back or I will laser every fucking one of you. And there's the, because the power is obviously flickering on the plane and there's that beautiful shot as everything goes dark and you can just see the eye glow. Yeah, in his silhouette. Oh, it is. And it makes him look proper evil. But you can see there, especially in the aftermath of that sequence, because they watch this plane go down. And Anthony Starr is just like, yeah, whatever, huh? Yeah, so, he, ooh, he's a just squirrel. watching it with a cold detachment as it goes down going, well, that didn't work out the way that we Shit. still and still well wanted what it to work out. What am I going to do out. now? Whereas Maeve is watching it and her heart is breaking and she doesn't want to be there and she doesn't, you can just see the regret and remorse in her face. Mm. You know, she would rather, I, you can, like, I know myself, I would rather have not been there than have been there and done nothing. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I think that's what she's, everybody's supposed to think. She's ultimately in that situation. She is powerless. Yeah. And, like, she can't do anything about it because she can't fly. So if she wants to survive, she has to go with Homelander. Yeah. And she has to do what he says. And she knows that. And she's not so heroic. And she doesn't have such morals that she would die on the principle with the rest of them. We are, as a, we are supposed to see that she's upset by it and feel for her a little. But ultimately... You know, mm. she probably could have tried to do more. But then she's also not strong enough to go up against Homeland. No, no, but that's that's her that's yeah. her conundrum and that's her yeah. quandary, you know. But we are starting to see it. And obviously then you see it in the beach scene towards the end of the episode. Or at, is it at the very end of the episode. The episode, yeah. Um, when everything's washing up on shore and the news are reporting about it. And Maeve's just standing there watching it, tears streaming down her face, looking at like the doll washing up on the shore. And a Homelander immediately capitalizes on it. But the way yet, yeah, the way Homelander flips that. Oh, they didn't have to die. They didn't have to die. And oh, delivers this impassioned speech about how it was basically all Congress's fault for not letting them be in the military because if they were already in the military, they could have gotten there and done something about it. Whereas obviously we know they did get there and they did do something about it. Yeah, <laughs> they made it worse. worse. They made it worse. But Stilwell's reaction as he's giving the speech is just, it goes from, uh-oh, what's he going to say to, oh. oh, hang on, where's he going with this? To just absolute glee at the fact that he's managed to turn 
what rightly should have been an absolute disaster for Vought, if anybody ever finds out, into a complete win for them. Oh, yeah. Homelander is getting the biddy tonight. <laughs> he really yeah. is. He's yeah, got, Homelander he's, has earned the biddy tonight. Yeah, he can put just the tip in. <laughs> but, again, he, Anthony Starr's acting when he's doing that scene. Oh, the, especially at the end when everybody's like, you know, we hear you, Homelander, and he's like, and I hear you, and the people who did this, they're gonna hear from us, and there's just insanity in his eyes when he's saying that. It's like he believes his version of events that he's lying about as he's saying it. You he's know? Eric Cartman. He, he Cart- is Eric Cartman. You know, like Cartman. Yeah, Cartman believes his own bullshit so much that every time there's that brilliant episode where every time he tells a story, it gets more and more elaborate. Oh, where and, he's writing jokes with Jimmy. Yeah, but yeah. he's absolutely convinced in his own mind that that's the way it is. That Homelander is like that. Homelander is convinced that his way is absolutely right, and when it doesn't go his way, he throws a tantrum like a little bitch boy. But this, it's just. I the, the way in which he does it is just mm. so callous and calculating. You know, he could not care less for any of the people on that flight. You know, he when he was going out there, he saw it as a means to further their military agenda. And when it went down, he was like, nobody can ever find out about this. And then he saw a means to turn it again to benefit their military agenda. And that's all he's concerned with. The people are totally inconsequential to him. Oh, there's a brilliant moment when he's talking to the cameras and he turns away because he's all choked up. Mm. And then he goes, but, and turns back around and you can just see his little face light up. Yeah. Like he does a very, he's like, oh, I'm so, I'm so choked up. And you can just see the cogs going. Yeah. It's like, but, you know, talk to your governor, you know, phone your councilman, you know, raise your voice. Mm. And so just as as we get more and more of Homelander throughout these first couple of episodes, we're just starting to see just how it, at the crazy, moment, but like yeah. unbalanced he is between the the control issues he has uh, over the rest of the superheroes and his need for love and their love and or fear, his weird issues with Stillwell, you know, him wanting to do everything for the company and then just his you know, callous actions towards people and, and criminals and everything. We're really starting to get a nice picture of Homelander. Yeah. Um, but given that they don't really give very much of his backstory or upbringing, aside from the deleted scene that was released as, like, I think a special feature on the DVD or on the X-ray, mm. of this cold calculating, raising, no love, no affection. Mm. Obviously, yeah, a person, any person's going to crave that. But on top of that, he's also a sociopath and been told he's the most powerful person in the world. And, you know, he's been fed this line his whole life of he's a hero and he can save everybody. Yeah. So everybody should love him. And everybody who pan- everybody panders to him as well because they're all secretly fucking terrified of him. Certainly anybody who's in Vought at any sort of high level is. You know what I mean? Obviously the general public absolutely love him. Yeah, because they don't know him, but anybody who has to interact with him on a more personable level seems to be, with the exception of Steelwell, seems to be terrified of him, or at the very least, extremely wary of him. Yeah. You know, he is he is a an unknown. Mm. They all are, in fairness. Yeah. Who knows what damage has been done to him. But after the the female business and the plane business that those two your kind of A and B storylines or, or C storyline is Annie and Huey go bowling oh yeah <laughs> and it's initially set up that Butcher sends tells Huey you know no go you set up a date and you you clone her phone so that we can basically bug her and hear everything that she says and you can see that Huey's uncomfortable with it and he's like no she's, she's a good person and in disbelief Butcher's like she's she's a fucking soup like no she's not yeah the Homelanders are sorry Butcher's is bad mm. 
he's painted them all with the same brush. Yeah. And yes, they most of them are these insane, depraved, debauched individuals, which comes with it, the insane power that they possess and the fact that they've been put on these pedestals. Yeah. That is basically they can get away with anything. But some of them are in a genuinely to be good people. Yeah. And you so can like, see like Maeve got into it as a good person and has slowly been worn down by it. Yeah. But yeah, in contrast to the females, just raw power and Homelander's mad calculating callousness, um, you see Annie's just goodness in this episode. You know, the various conversations they have between her talking about her Jesus-centric childhood and her first kiss at senior prom to when she's talking about later on in the episode when she's talking about like hiding her strength because... It makes boys afraid. Yeah, he cops that she's throwing their bowling game. <laughs> yeah. And, and calls her on it. And then she tells the story about a guy that she liked and he took her to a party. And they some other like local boys were picking on him. So she stepped in and kicked the crap out of them. And he rewarded her by not talking to her. So she learned to hide her strength. And that could be applied to so many things that women have had to go through over the years. Yeah, not I, just physical strength. Like. Oh, yeah. Try doing math in the 1600s. You're a witch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get burnt at the stake for going two plus two. For having an aptitude for any particular thing. Yeah. Doesn't matter what it was. Yeah, you're witch burner. Um, And the way that she, especially given that she's from middle America as well, it wouldn't have been that well accepted in middle America would still be very much of the oh yeah and especially if she had a Jesus centric childhood and we're talking you know traditional gender roles superpowers are no she shouldn't be picking fights with boys you know mm. what I mean so yeah having that that upbringing as well as the fact that she was super powered has really kind of hammered into her to... And her insane mother and the fact that her... I think, has she mentioned at this point that her father left? Mm, not sure. I can't remember. But her, extremely controlling. But you've only We've been introduced seen, yeah. and seen her mother at this point. So her mother seems to have a very kind of tight control, well, over her, given how old is she supposed to be and she's still living at home? I think she's supposed to be early, mid-twenties, like... She's still living at home. She didn't seem to have a day job, anything like that. Like, her whole life was training and doing... And being a superhero. And being part of the the Christian superhero thing, because we get the little nod to... There's the ad for Believe Expo. Oh, With Ezekiel talking about all the things that will be there. And don't forget, Christ. Ezekiel in the fucking white ripped jeans with the fucking white sleeveless t-shirt and the guy for airy hair and he looks like somebody if you saw him approaching a playground you would call the police I think that's kind of the point like he looks like somebody (laughs) who should never be allowed near children yeah no he definitely shouldn't and it's interesting that you say that as well because the in the comics the character who oh god I'd forgotten about that who who kind (gasps) of Ezekiel replaces in a way the character who like runs the Believe Expo and runs the kind of Christian side of the superhero things is a character called Oh Father, who is a voracious paedophile, basically. I've forgotten about Oh Father. So they've taken I, him. I, I, well, I assume they're not going to use Oh Father, but Ezekiel is a, a made-for-the-TV show superhero. That seems to be put in in place of him. They've just made him gay. Not who, not, yeah, a, he's, not a paedophile, and I'm so glad of that because there are certain like thing. No, yeah, no, no, that would have been a bit too far even for this show. Yeah. So yeah, instead they have him as a as and a closet homosexual oh, who runs is, conversion camps. Yeah, oh, father is is honestly is is a monster. Yeah, because he has that little like group of of children. Oh, he's got twelve sidekicks called the disciples. Yeah, he's basically like the Catholic Church. Yeah. But yeah, we get a little nod to the Believe Expo that we see in the next episode. And Annie also says that she's going to be part of it. Mm. Um, and Huey kind of is like, really? And she's like, yeah, look, at you know, it's good for the community, basically. And he talks about how nice she is. What I like about this scene is as well, it's kind of interspersed throughout the episode, the whole bowling thing. But as it wears on and Huey just seems to be 
falling for her more and realizing that she's just she is actually just a nice person and he's somebody that she really likes when he gets to that point he then suddenly sees this vision of robin oh the ghost of robin's past yeah the ghost of robin appears and he's kind of like oh yeah shit i came here to like further my anti-superhero agenda so i should probably do something about that but i like how just how that whole thing plays out I know there's the really nice little bit about the kind of PTSD. Oh, the sound of all the pins crashing triggers him and everything does flicker a little bit and it is, it's done very, very well. Yeah, you see Huey still kind of dealing with the after effects of killing Translucent, especially when he finds out Translucent has a son. Yeah. And that really throws him off and you see he's starting to regret it and he's starting to question it. It's humanizing Translucent? Yeah, because up to that point it would just be Translucent was this invisible guy who attacked him like it's obviously it wasn't very well it wasn't a known fact that he had a child or anything like that well Huey's interaction with superheroes was one killed his girlfriend the next one attacked him when he planted a bug and he ended up having to kill him in self defence and he you know so he had this kind of righteous anger against superheroes but the more he's in contact with Annie the more he's starting to see the human side of superheroes. Well, and he's a good person. Translucent had a kid who he loved. Well, apart from the fact that he idolised their characters, but their character is just a character. Exactly. And he's now beginning to see behind the veil. Yeah. So And, and realising that these people, literally what they portray, like all of us, what we portray to the public, is not a true reflection of who we are. And similarly, is not all black and white. No. You know, Huey's starting to see the grey. When he was a fan, it was all good. After Robin, it, it was, was all, all bad. bad. And now he's starting to see the bad in the good and the good in the bad. And I just, I like how it plays out across the episode, mm-hmm. across the, the, the bowling scene. Yeah, because Butcher, for a lot of them, their general outlook for, for the other three members of the boys, their outlook is superheroes are bad. Yeah, it's fuck soups. And the only time, like, they will use them, but it's only to further their own agenda. Yeah, some are more gung-ho than others. Like, Billy doesn't care in the least. Yeah. Frenchie at least seems to care about the female because he feels that she's a victim. Clearly, she has superpowers, but Frenchie sees her as some kind of victim. Yeah, they've they've locked her in a cage. They've been, they do find V at the place and A-Train shows up and he's like, oh, shit. Because he sees them taking the bodies out. And they discover that they the Chinese Mafia, I think it's the Chinese Mafia, have been injecting her Triads with this. So she's being held against her will and they have to find her. Because mm. if they can bring even her to Rainer and she can testify that this is what's been happening to her. Mm. You know, she's something, they want her. Yeah. And it's a case of who's going to get her first. You know, obviously they can't let Vought get their hands on her again. Yeah, and speaking of... When a train does catch the female, yeah, it's that that slow mo shot as he oh running a, past the train station, yeah, yeah, well past the platform. But mm. a the fact that as she jumps into the train tunnel, she gets taken out by a train. Yeah, just the way that slow mo shot is done as they run past all the passengers, it's it's a beautiful shot. It really, really reminds me of the Nightwatch films. You know the scene when he's fighting the vampire in the barber shop. Yeah. It really had that kind of look, like photography look to it. Yeah. I liked as well when the female does take him down. Oh, she, she rips his. Rips I couldn't. His face. I couldn't work out if she put her fingers up his nose or not. Because that would have been hilarious. Because I think she does kill somebody like that in the comic books, where she gets her fingers up his nose and mm. like flips him. Um, I also just she's in the jammies with the bare bloody feet yeah but it's nice to see as well it's not just that she's strong enough to kill normal humans and pulverize them she's able to defend herself against A-Train while he's running at this incredible speed not incredibly effectively but enough to do she stops him running Yeah. yeah now he does then pound her head into a wall for well, a while afterwards. Well, he throws her through with support as well. Like, yeah. to clean through it and into another one. And mm. then, the way he fights is, is really good because the only superpower he really has is speed. Yeah. He doesn't seem to have super healing. He doesn't seem to have any sort of super strength bar using his own momentum. 
So it, it seems to be like he knows how to use his super speed to build up his momentum and yeah. use it against others as opposed to just being able to flat out call cock somebody and like punch straight through their head. Mm. You know, he doesn't seem to have that level of super strength the no, way no. Annie does that she can punch straight through a wall. Yeah. Because he doesn't have, like if you look at the Flash being the most prominent speedster in like kind of the collective consciousness he can like vibrate through things and stuff like that yeah he doesn't have any of those extra like speed force powers yeah for, he, he's just fast yeah and seems to be getting slower as he ages as well which is interesting that he's not the fastest one anymore yeah he seems to and in his training his... with his brother as well like that he has to train to keep getting fast just keep mm. keep it up that it's not something that's the same way you see any training as well yeah that it isn't something that, okay, yes, there are baseline skills there, but they do have to put effort into it, which is why Homelander's eye lasers are so fucking sloppy. Right, well, in the same way that if we don't exercise, we get unfit. Mm. If they don't use their superpowers, if they don't train their superpowers, they won't be as good or as powerful. Yeah. Like you said, if Homelander practiced a little bit more, maybe he wouldn't have taken that plane in. But I don't get the impression that Homelander practices at all. No. Homelander is just like, yeah, this is me. I mean, for the love of God, his suit's got padding built into it. Come on. But I think that pretty much covers most of the episode. Well, they end up gassing Frenchie, like Frenchie reaching out to her and telling her the story and then being the one, number one, using A-Train's fame against him. Oh, that's a nice Causing the panic on the stage. Well, not a panic, but a furore. Yeah, it's a distraction. Yeah, and saying, oh, there's A-Train. And his little head popping out around the pillar and, being, yeah. and going, oh, hi, guys. But Just, yeah, the way it literally is almost cartoonish, the way his head popped around that pillar. Mm. And he knows he has to get as far, put as much distance between him and that crime scene, essentially, yeah. as possible. And so he moves up the platform. Yeah, so nobody can see what's going on. Yeah, he, he doesn't want he knows any of this. That, like, as, as much as they are all dickheads, their media training does work. Yeah, that's the only thing any of them have got going for them, is they are media trainable. Well, I think he's more afraid of anything to do with what he's doing, getting found out on yeah. Homelander. Because you know, he does have that class. red duffel bag with him the whole time as well. Yeah, yeah. But and then she makes a break for it down the tunnels and they go after him. Frenchie does try to reach out to her again. Frenchie has his, maybe she's a Spice Girl moment. Yeah, she's not a Spice Girl. And yeah, she she t- attacks him and gets gassed. And that's pretty much everything in the episode. Fairly well covered, I think. I'm mm. just going to have a flick it at is, my notes. It is a slower episode, I think. It is like it is slower pace. The timeline's a little bit more muddled on it because you do have... The date with Anne, Annie interspersed a, with it. There's a lot going on, but it does seem to be all happening concurrently, with, ex- concurrently, with the exception of the date, mm. which I think is thrown in there. Just not not thrown in there, but it's it's shows up at strategic points. Yeah, to reinforce the way Huey's thinking, to reinforce what's going on on screen, why it's so important mm. to Frenchie to save this girl. Compared to the previous three episodes, I feel like there's a lot more going on in this episode. Because you basically have three important storylines and one comedy storyline. You've got your female storyline mm. and the guy, the the three boys hunting her down. You've got the Annie and Huey date storyline. You've got the plane storyline. Yeah. And then you've got the Deep's mini comedy storyline. That's... That's a lot compared to the previous episodes, which were mostly focused around one or two events. Yeah. Normally one boys-related event and one Vought-related event. Yeah, and it does go, in the next episode, it does go back to kind of like being one overarching event. So that's I think that's why I think this one doesn't stick out to me as being overly violent because it's not, the violent scene isn't the showpiece. No. The showpiece is, is the female and Frenchie's relationship. Is this drive that Frenchie has to save this girl? Is he trying to redeem himself for not saving Mallory's children? Grandchildren. Yeah. You know, you do get that. You, that you know at this point that whatever has gone down in the past, Frenchie was directly involved. That it was very possibly his fault. So yeah. does he see this girl as a redemption for him? 
I think with the plane crash, that was Vought seizing an opportunity to further their own militaristic agenda. And it's a foreshadowing of what would happen if they were allowed into the military. Yeah. It would all go foobar. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think for me, the, I, I, I don't know why, but this episode to me just does not seem to be as inherently gory or violent as the other ones because there's so much other stuff going on around them that they're not the focal points. No, and like I said, I, I joked at the start about when you said it wasn't particularly gory. It's it's not. The plane goes down, but that's not a gory scene. No. The only real gore is is the, what the female gets up to. And you're right, yeah, that is, the main plot line is Frenchie and the female. But the, I suppose the big shock thing is the plane. Yeah. It's a big shock moment of the episode like we've had. But it doesn't even seem to be like, when I remember watching it the first time around and it would have been more surprising if they'd saved the plane. Like I knew it was kind of coming having read the comic books, but I was interested to see what they were going to do with it. And I think, I think at this point, the way they've established the characters is that if they'd actually managed to do it, it would have been more surprising. Because up until this point, they don't seem to have done anything with any sort of finesse. It does all seem to have been bungled or staged. The ones, I'm sorry, the ones that work out great are all staged. Yeah. Whereas this one, they hopped on straight away without their little call sheet and their crime analytics and all yeah. of that stuff. And they made a hames of it because they can't operate in those situations. They have no formal training. They have nothing else like that. Like they seem to be, it's any of the crimes they seem to have foiled, if you get me. It's like the aftermath of things like, oh, she stopped some bank robbers. Good. What did she do? She stopped an armored car and yeah. pulverized all of them. Yeah. And the, the drug deal that the deep and Annie went to. Was only four guys. And it, that would, but that's pretty much the only they save people from things. The shooter. The shooter, I don't think, was staged. But again, that's something they know how to deal with. Yeah, go and Cops stop this one there. guy. Go kill this one guy. Yeah. No, they weren't even supposed to kill him. But well, it's yeah. Queen Maeve. Like, she's basically indestructible. And she was just supposed to go in and collar the guy. Yeah. And it's not her fault that Homelander put his hand through his chest. He was just having an off day. And the one time we saw an earnest effort to prevent crime was Annie trying to stop the rape and that and ended up nearly being a big whole fiasco for them. Yeah. So, like, they don't have any sort of formal training. You don't see Annie or anything going through any sort of format, combat, you know, response training. They have no... Fr- media training. They have media training. That's it. They are literally assets. They are financial company assets. Yeah. Who are sent out to these things where they have cleared all liability, all culpability, everything. It's all cleared... And when they go off script, it's as bad as A-Train trying to go to that kid for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, that's as bad as it turns, like, uh, hey, I know that's, like, a pretty stupid comparison, but... Well, no, but you're right, because any time we've seen an attempt to do... To do the to right do thing. something on the fly or to do the right thing. It's all gone horribly, horribly wrong because they don't know how to exist in the real world. Yeah. Because if they had landed that plane, I don't think Starlight would have been standing over it going, this is lit. <laughs> no. Um, if they, yeah, if they had landed that plane, you can bet your ass that they would have made every possible oh, Vaught would have made, it, yeah, and, yeah. and then Vaught would have made some big thing about how they were, you know, giving everybody something or whatever, but they would have made a big media event that ultimately would have benefited them. As it turns out, it still became a big media event that does ultimately benefit them. But that's only because of the fact that Homelander was really, really quick on his feet. It's also the first time that you see that maybe they've been underestimating him. Yeah, that's certainly, I think, Stillwell's response is a bit of Stillwell didn't expect him to be able to turn that around the way he did. And you're right, had he not turned there... They probably wouldn't have been able to gain any leverage from that. No, but like he does, he does it. It is, it is a study in spin. Oh yeah, we have fairly wrung this episode dry, but I think halfway points through the season. Yeah, things it was, were definitely. It was time for an episode that was a little bit slower. Yeah, things are definitely unfolding nicely. Four episodes left to go. You can see things are start starting to kind of. V is the the important thing of the mm. season. Put storylines, threads are starting to come together. Yeah, but it seems to be centered around the boys seem to think that the V is the way to bring them down. Homelander and 
Vought seem to have some plans for V as well, but we don't know what they are. And yet. at this point, we don't know what V is except for some sort of the thing that makes them. It is a performance enhancer, is all we know <laughs> yeah. so far. Again, if you've read the comics, you'll have a fairly good idea of, of what, what it's it actually for. does, yeah. But again, in the next episode or two, I think we get our full revelation about V. I love the fact that whenever they have any sort of crazy thing in sci fi or horror, it's always blue. Why is it always blue? Well, in the comics, it's blue as well. I know, but then it also looks like crystal meth in the comics. Yeah. <laughs> well, the first time you see it, it is being snorted as a powder. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think we should probably leave it there. We've run a little bit long and a little bit rambly today. Yeah. As it's ever, a rambly kind of day, though. Yeah. As ever, guys, we are Mono Rants. Thank you for joining us. You can find all our episodes wherever goodish podcasts are hosted. And in the meantime, you can send any feedbacks or questions or whatever. Cat pictures. I want to see your kitties. Kira Not wants... those kitties. I just the four-legged type of purse. Kira wants cat pictures. I, I'd just be happy to get any sort of email. And I'm going to get dick, dick pics now. You're I? probably going to get dick pics. Yep. Dick pics plenty to monorantspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at rantsmono. And uh, don't forget to go back and listen to our last three podcasts if you haven't already. And we'll see you all next week. Bye-bye.